Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jones. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, while you're turning there, let me say thank you to Brother Jones for the opportunity to minister tonight in the Word. I never count it uh, lightly. I always count it a great honor. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach tonight. And aren't you thankful for the presence of the Lord? Amen. I'm thankful for when the Lord, when the people of God truly and genuinely worship the Lord, how He comes with His presence. And uh, you know, I was thinking of a couple of scriptures while uh, Allison and Megan were singing. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? And Jesus, at the end of the Great Commission, He gave the disciples this great mission that they had. And at the very end, He said, Lo, I am with you always. Amen. I'm thankful for the promise of the presence of the Lord and that even though we might not be able to see it currently, I'm thankful that God is continuing to work in our lives and for our good. Amen. It is a little bit ironic um, when, it, when it, you'll understand as I preach, but I'm going to preach tonight a simple sermon on a good church service. And I think we kind of had a little bit of a good church service so far, don't you think so? Amen. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, just one verse of scripture. This is Paul writing. He says, how is it then, brethren? He asked this question. He, you know, what is, what is the outcome? He's been talking a couple of chapters about the gifts of the Spirit. And he comes to this question. What it, basically, what's the conclusion of the matter? What's the outcome, brethren? When ye come together, when you have church, basically, every one of you hath the psalm, hath the doctrine, hath the tongue, hath the revelation, hath an interpretation. So somebody's basically, everybody's bringing something. And then he says, let all things be done unto edifying. Let everything that is done be for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen. With the Lord's help, I want to preach this tonight on a good church service. A good church service. I don't, uh, if you could leave, okay, it's fine, it's fine. You guys can be seated. I was going to say if you would leave the text up, that way as I go through it, people could see it, if, if you wouldn't mind. Now, for all of my life, I've heard this phrase, and people, you have used this remark. Boy, that was a good church service. I don't know if you guys have had it here, and people have said it here. And generally, what is meant by that is that was a church service with no preaching. That's generally what's meant by it. Man, that was a good church service. There wasn't any preaching. The spirit moved. The singers sang it down. People flooded the altars, they shouted, you know, there was no preaching. And I want to say up front, I believe in all of that. I believe in anointed singing. I believe in, in people exuberantly rejoicing and shouting. I believe in, in speaking in tongues. And I, I'm a Pentecostal, I believe in it fully. I simply don't believe that a good church service is simply one that doesn't have any preaching. You know, and my justification for that isn't, you know, because you guys have to hear more preachers preach. My justification is, is what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14. I believe he gives us some requirements or some criteria for what should happen every time the church comes together. And, and the last time I preached, I had microphone pro trouble, so I need to keep it closer to my mouth. Is that correct? Okay. Uh, I believe every church service needs to have three components, I believe Paul gives us. And whenever those three things are met, I believe that we can say that we had a good church service. 
And really, if you boil it all down, a good church service is you. It's you being here. A good church service is you doing something. And a good church service is you doing something for the glory of God and for, and for the good of the church. That's what a good church service is. And now how many of you here tonight want to have good church services, right? All of us, I would say, want to have good church services. And so as we go through this verse of Scripture, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we having good church services? And I don't want this to be condemning any church or this church or anything like that, but we all need to evaluate ourselves to make sure we're doing our part so that we're having what God wants us to experience. Amen. If we're not having it, we need to ask if, if we're the problem, if we can do something so that God can manifest himself every time we meet together in fresh, new, and marvelous, marvelous ways. Amen. The first part of a good church service is people. That's the first part of a good church service. Notice what Paul says here, when ye come together. Notice what he says there, when, and I don't want this to be any guilt tripping like I'm trying to guilt trip people to come to church. I'm just trying to preach what the Word of God says. But the Bible says, when ye come together. It doesn't say, if ye come together. It uses the word, when. It presents this as something that is mandatory, as something that is a necessity. It does, Paul doesn't say here, you know, if you get around it coming, you know, then come on to the house of God. It, it's a necessity. It's not something he presents as an option. This kind of reminds us of what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10, where he's encouraging the believers there to stir themselves up to good works, and he tells them not forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. So apparently some people were refusing to come together to worship God and, and to, to rejoice in God's goodness and God's grace. And, and the author of Hebrews has to tell them, we do not need to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Amen. Each Christian, me, you, everybody, needs the fellowship, needs the encouragement that we receive when we come together as the body of Christ. Now you might point out correctly, well the Bible doesn't specify exactly how many times we need to get together you know, every week or how often the church should get together. And you're correct about that. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt meet together three times a week, two times on Sunday, one time on Wednesday. That's correct. But from the very beginning of the church, if you read the New Testament, if you read early church history, the church had a tradition of meeting at least on a weekly basis. And so the important point of the fact is that whenever, whatever church you're a part of, whichever local church you're a part of, you need to be consistently there. You need to be there on a regular basis. You need to be present when the people of God get together. The first part of a good church service is they have people. Now I want you to notice something what Paul says here when he says when ye. Now the word ye in English can be both singular and plural. And I know you probably know this, but the New Testament wasn't written in King James English. It was written in Greek. And the Greek word here is actually plural in the Greek. And so when Paul says, when you come together, he's not saying you as an individual. He's saying to the church of Corinth, when you come together as a plurality of people coming together. That's Paul's uh, mind here, is there's a group of people that are coming together together to worship God and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and one thing that might be helpful for our understanding of this is when Paul gives us that great analogy of the body of Christ. And Paul says that just as we have one body, and that body is made up of, of many members, yet it still is, is one body, Paul says that, that so also is Christ. That Christ's body is made up of a gazillion members, that, you know, there's tons of members, and yet there is only one body. And we need to have that understanding of the body of Christ. And that, that you know, Paul said there in, in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, every member is essential. Every member has a role to play. There isn't somebody that's more important than others. There's no way one member can say to another member, I don't have any need of you, right? There's no way the pastor can say to those in the pew, I don't have a need for you. And there's no way the people in the pew can say to the pastor, I have no need of you, because we all have needs for each other. Amen. Now we need to ask ourselves a question about our own bodies, our own physical bodies, and could our bodies function as they should? Could our bodies function effectively as they could if some of the members weren't showing up? Right? If some of the members of our body were refused, and if our leg was refusing to cooperate, if our hands weren't cooperating correctly, could our body be as effective as it otherwise could be? Well, I think the answer is pretty obvious. No, right? The body couldn't be as effective. And the same thing with the body of Christ. And I know this is broader than just church services, but whenever we're the part of the body of Christ, we need to show up so the body can be healthy. So let me ask you, are you faithfully joining the church when it comes together, right? Are you faithfully participating in what is going on? Uh, do, do you view regular attendance as optional, as something that you don't need, or is it something you view as mandatory, not just so you know the, the church needs you, but because you need the church, friend. And when you don't come together as the body of Christ, when you refuse to come, not only are you doing yourself spiritual harm, not only are you harming yourself spiritually, but you're also not fulfilling the role that God has given to you to work in the body of Christ. Amen. A good church service has people. The second thing that a good church service has is participation. The second thing that a good church service has is you doing something. Amen. Now, in Paul's mind, what he gives us here, there really aren't any spectators. Okay? There's not, there's not much spectating going on. Everybody is participating. And notice what he says here. Every one of you, or each one of you, hath the psalm. So some, basically what he's saying is well, somebody's bringing a song, somebody's bringing a doctrine, somebody's bringing tongues, somebody's bringing revelation, and somebody's bringing interpretation. Now what he, what the sense of what he's saying basically is that every member, and again the churches weren't as large as this in, in the first century, but hopefully you get the point, that every member that is coming together is bringing a distinctive contribution to the building up of the body of Christ. That there is large participation when the church comes together. And so what this means is that a, we can determine a good church service based upon the percentage of the congregation that is participating. Right? We can gauge a good church service based upon how many people are participating. And so that means that a bad church service would be just a few people doing all the participation, while a good church service is the whole body of Christ 
participating for the glory of God. And we need to continue to ask ourselves, friend, how does our church services look like? What do they, what do they look like? Now, Paul says here, he mentions five things, but I don't think Paul is giving an exhaustive list. I don't think Paul is saying here now that this is the only five things, or these are the only five things that I want a church service to have. I only want a church service to have one psalm and one doctrine and one of this and one of that. What I think Paul is doing here is he's providing us a representation of what should happen When the people of God come together, when the people of God come together, there should be singing. We agree with that. When the people of God come together, there should be teaching, there should be preaching, and there should be supernatural manifestations of the Spirit of God in our midst. And I was singing this afternoon, you know, you might not have to be in this sanctuary to even be participating in the church service. I was thinking about how many different individuals volunteer to take care of the youngins while the adults can come into the sanctuary and have service. I believe that is participation when the people of God come together. Amen. So I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but he does mention five, so let's go through this a little bit. The first thing that Paul mentions is he mentions a psalm. Now what does this word mean, a psalm? The psalm is simply a song of praise. Amen. Paul is saying that when the church comes together, when the church assembles, somebody's going to be bringing a song of praise. Amen. And now this could be an Old Testament psalm. So somebody could have came and sang Psalm 103 or Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right. So somebody could have brought an Old Testament psalm. Other people could have maybe written a a newly uh, composed Christian song. We don't know the songs of the first century. But somebody might have brought a song that they just wrote about the grace of God or the forgiveness of sins. And they said, you know, Brother Paul, the Lord put a song on my heart and I want to sing it when we come together. Paul said that is what needs to happen when the church comes together. And I'm thankful for the service tonight, for the songs that have been sung. Some of them were newly composed songs. Some of them were out of the hymnal. But I'm thankful that all the singing is done for the glory of God and for the good of the people of God. Amen. The second thing Paul mentions is doctrine. What does doctrine mean? Now, doctrine, the word here simply means teaching. And so Paul says that every time, roughly every time, the church gets together, there needs to be some teaching. There needs to be some doctrine. Now, this word simply means it's, the, it's instruction that is the result of sustained biblical reflection. Somebody has done some work with the Bible. They've looked at the text and they've sought to explain it and apply it to the people of God. This isn't something that somebody gets up and said, you know, I feel like the Spirit of God is speaking to me now to give to you guys. It's something that somebody has spent time and effort and energy to get up and teach the people of God. Now this could be, normally this is accomplished in our services through the faithful preaching of the Word of God, right? Where where people preach, Brother Jones or others preach about the righteousness of God and the goodness of God and the Lord's return and about heaven and about hell and all sorts of these great biblical topics. And Paul says that every time the church gets together, there needs to be some teaching. There needs to be some doctrine. Amen. The third thing that Paul mentions, I'm going to mention the third and the fifth thing, is he mentions tongues 
and he mentions interpretation. And those two things go together a lot of times, so I'm going to mention them both. Now, Paul mentions these, these two because he's been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. In chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been teaching about these spiritual gifts. And he mentions tongues and interpretation. And he mentions tongues. He's been driving home the point. I want you to get this. Paul has been driving home the point that in the corporate assembly, when people gather together, Paul says that speaking in tongues is of value, but its value is very limited. And I don't want you to fall out with me, but I want you to understand what I'm saying. It is, it is valuable, but its value is limited. Now, Paul has been saying that in order for the church to be edified, there needs to be understanding, right? In order for us who speak English to be edified and to be built up, there needs to be a doctrine and singing in a language that we can understand. And so Paul says that, yes, tongues are valuable, but because they're non-understandable, which by definition is what they are, the value to build up the church is very limited unless it is followed by interpretation. Okay. Now, Paul, now I, want to, I want you to get this, though. Importantly, Paul doesn't say, Corinthians, stop speaking in tongues. I do not want any tongues to be spoken in a congregation that I've planted, which is what you know, some in, in modern Christianity would, would have us believe. But Paul doesn't tell them not to speak in tongues. He simply lays down some guidelines for how tongues should operate in the body of Christ when the church comes together. But, uh, but also, I mean, just to think about it, he's basically saying here that every time the church comes together, there needs to be tongues and there needs to be interpretation. Now, I'm not saying that if we don't have that, it's a bad service. But Paul is saying that roughly every church service needs to have some gifts of the Spirit in operation, friend. And, 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 I, and I want that, don't you? I want the gifts to be in operation. I want to pursue that and seek that personally in my own life. But Paul, Paul says here, just as singing should compose a part of our services, and just as teaching should compose a part of our services, so also, so also should tongues and interpretation. The final thing he mentions is revelation. Revelation. Now, what does he mean by this word revelation? Well, if you, if you read in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit, you'll notice that revelation is not one of the gifts of the Spirit. The nine gifts that Paul mentions in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8-10. However, revelation is closely connected to prophecy. And prophecy is one of, the, one of the nine gifts that he mentions. And so, I think he's just clearly associating the two together. Now, a revelation means a message. And I want you to understand this. A message that somebody receives from God spontaneously in the midst of a service that God plants upon their mind and that is spoken out to the congregation. That's what a revelation is. And I think there's guidelines and stuff, and I'm not trying to lay all that down here tonight. I'm just trying to tell you what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying about revelation that needs to be part of our services. A revelation is a thing that God brings to somebody's mind, and the prophecy is the reporting of that message. Okay, A revelation is God speaking. This isn't, a, this isn't doctrine. This isn't somebody said, you know, for the last five days I've been studying Psalm 23, and I want to give a little teaching on it. A revelation is something that somebody did not think about and that God put on their mind 
mind, and the prophecy is the speaking forth of that in the hearing of the people. And Paul says that just as teaching needs to be a part of our services, and just as tongues and interpretation, and just as singing, so also does this revelation and prophecy. And now what does this revelation and prophecy accomplish? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophecy can disclose the hearts of people. Prophecy is also for encouragement. Prophecy is also for comfort. Prophecy is also for exhortation. And what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 is that a good church service has the gifts of the Spirit in operation. A good church service not only has tongues and not only has interpretation, but it has the rest of the gifts of the Spirit in operation, friend. And, my, you know, we, we evaluate ourselves and we say, well, where is that in our services? And we say, well, God must not want us to have that. For I don't think that should be our mentality because Paul said that we should covet earnestly the best gifts. He says that we should follow after. And I want to encourage us here tonight that we should pursue all that God has for the church in the 21st century. If our experience is short of what the New Testament teaches, let us be people that seek after God and say, God, give us whatever you would have us to have in this hour. Amen. But I want to be part of a church that participates, that has corporate-wide participation so that the people of God are edified. Amen. A good church service has people. A good church service also has participation, but that's not enough. A good church service can, has a purpose. Because you can have people, and you can have participation, but, but that can be disastrous if it's not done for the right purpose. Because we probably have all seen people get up with a song that really hurt people. <laughs> or somebody get up with some teaching, and it destroyed people. Or somebody get up and tried to prophesy, and it wasn't from God. Everything that we do in the church, there's a purpose. And what is that purpose at the end of verse 26? Let all things be done unto edifying. That should be the overarching aim of when we come together to worship God. Are we doing it for the edification of the people of God? Are we trying to build up the body of Christ. Or we're not trying to tear down people. We're trying to strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're trying to nurture them and nourish them. And so, friend, whenever whatever participation that we're going to contribute to our services, we keep in mind. Am I doing this to bring attention to myself? Is my singing to draw attention to myself, well, that, that definitely wouldn't be a question I ask because I don't sing. But is it, is it drawing attention to myself? Is, is it all about me? Am I, am I undermining the work of God? Am I, am I tearing down my brothers and sisters in Christ? If that's my motive, I'm far, far from where I need to be. Our motive should be to build up the people of God, to edify the body of Christ. And so a good church service has people. A good church service has participation. So it's you, we're here, we're together, we're participating corporately, we're contributing to the work, the work of God, and we're doing it with the right purpose. We're doing it to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe if we do that, we can say we've had a good church service. Amen.
Now, in conclusion, before I'm going to pray, we're not going to have an altar. I'm going to turn to Brother Jones and he's, we're going to have communion. But conclusion, let's apply this to ourselves individually. And we've got to ask ourselves three questions. Number one, am I showing up? Okay. When it says, when ye come together, am I showing up faithfully at the church that I'm a part of? Am, am, I, am I faithfully and regularly and consistently coming to the house of God with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I showing up? But not only am I showing up, but am I showing up to participate, right? It's not that I'm showing up just to be seen. It's not that I'm showing up to, to, to you know, just be a spectator. But I'm showing up to be a participant in what God is doing in the kingdom of God here at Broadway Assembly. And not only am I showing up, and not only am I showing up to participate, but am I showing up to participate with the right motive in mind? Am I showing up to participate for the edification of the church and for the glory of God? And friend, that is a sobering thing that we need to think about. Am I participating for the right reasons? And again, don't think that just because, you know, just what happens in here, that's the only participation because there is a lot that goes on in participation in the body of Christ when the church comes together. But let us all seek more of God and see if we can allow the Lord to speak to us so that we could have church, good church services because that's God's will. God's will is not for bad church services. God's will is not for, for people not to come. God's will is not for, for, for only a couple of people to participate. God's will is not for people to do everything for their own personal aggrandizement and for their own personal building up. But God's will is for us to come together to worship Him and to do it together for the good of the people of God. Amen. If that's your prayer, if you would pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for this service. Thank you for the presence of the Lord that we have felt thus far. Thank you, God, for the singing that wherever we go in life, there truly you are with us. And uh, we thank you, God, for, for, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for the people of God. Thank you for the church. God, help us to be people that will faithfully show up and regularly come, not just to be a spectator, Lord, but to be a participant in what you're wanting to do every time we assemble. And God, help us to keep that motive in mind, that right purpose, God, that we're doing it not for ourselves, not for, for the good of our own selves, but for the good of the people of God. God, meet with us, Lord. Help us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, because we know that that day is drawing near and we need each other to stir ourselves up for good works and to the love of other people. God, help us, Lord, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.